Welcome to the College Commons Bully Pulpit Podcast, Torah with a Point of View, produced by the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion, America's first Jewish institution of higher learning. My name is Joshua Holo, your host and dean of the Jack H. Skirball Campus in Los Angeles. It is my great privilege and pleasure to welcome Rabbi Lise Goldstein of City Shul in Toronto to join us for our Bully Pulpit today. Elise, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Josh. I want to ask you if inclusivity needs to mean dumbing down. Oof. Well, look, I think there's a huge tension in the reform movement right now. We're all about audacious hospitality, okay? I'm at the biennial, and it's all I'm hearing. Audacious this, audacious that, okay? We haven't defined what audacious hospitality means, but there is an assumption that I'm feeling a lot in the movement. Audacious hospitality means everyone and anyone is welcome to do anything and everything they want because the minute we say, no, that doesn't meet our standards in our synagogue or no, our synagogue does it, you know, has a, has a, a, a different way of looking at it, we're not being inclusive, you know, we're being exclusive. Well, I mean, it's not, we're not that unmoored. We, we wouldn't allow Messianic Jews or Jews for Jesus in. Oh, you're so inhospitable. I don't, I don't think I'd be, I wouldn't be greeted with 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 skepticism. No, no, I know that. I, I'm 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 stating it in a very extreme Stark way, way. Okay? okay, because I haven't heard those bottom lines um, defined. I haven't seen them printed. I haven't. I want someone. You know, I want Rick Jacobs to get up there, and I want him to say. And I, he has said, okay, you know, we're going to draw the line at messianic, whatever. But where do we draw the line in terms of, of audacious hospitality and in terms of inclusivity? And it's not so much audacious hospitality. That just means be super nice to people when they walk in your shul. And hopefully we'll all get there, okay? What I'm really questioning is this notion of inclusivity at the cost of or with the price tag of um, Offering people a sort of inauthentic, dumbed-down, watered-down, easy-peasy, you know, anybody can come in. Isn't this endemic to the very undertaking of Reform Judaism itself? It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be endemic. And, in fact, I don't think 20 years ago we were talking the same language that we're talking today in terms of inclusivity. 20 years ago we all said, of course we have to include LGBTQ people, and of course we have to include Jews of color, and of course we have to include women, because that's what we were talking about right, 20 right, years right, ago. Women. I was the one that, you know, was, right, right. was the benefit of that yeah, inclusivity. The of that, right, sure. But we were never talking about, you know, lack of standards in terms of our observance level, lack of standards in terms of Hebrew. But about 20 years ago you wouldn't have had as many synagogues having really lively Torah stuff on Shabbos and on Sunday mornings. Do they have Saturday services following? You I know, know, I, I want to know, have we grown? all over the country. They all have Torah study. This is an amazing development. No, I agree with you 100%, but I want us to grow. I want us to grow past that. I want us to grow further than that, and I want us to grow in a very high-bar way. That word, high-bar, is very unpopular in a It's by movement. definition exclusive. Of course it That's is. That's purpose. So what do you want to exclude? I don't want to exclude anything. I want people to reach up. I want to offer a reach up reform Judaism. I've always wanted that. I was a kid in Nifty. You know, yeah. when I was a kid in Nifty, I was always the one who's like, could we do a little bit more in Hebrew, please? Or, it, you'll excuse me for saying this, but could the Torah reader stop making mistakes and saying, Yehiyeh instead of Adonai? Stuff like that, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we make sure our Hebrew levels are appropriately high enough as rabbis and as, also as lay people? You know, listen, can I give you a real example? Please. Transliteration. I am so conflicted about transliteration. On the one hand, 
it makes everybody feel included. Everybody can sing along. Okay. Listen, I have it in my congregation too. I want everyone to sing. We're a very singing congregation. I know that three quarters of them can't read the Hebrew. So I give them the prayer book with transliteration on the page. Well, I have just done away with any desire or motivation to learn how to read Hebrew. Why bother? I've given it to you on the page. Well, what is the motivation to read Hebrew then? Because Hebrew is the language of the Jewish people and has been for thousands of years. First of all, when I go to Israel, I'm not going to be able to read the signs in transliteration. <laughs> okay? Second of all, um, Hebrew to me is, a ho- is the holy uh, connector. It's the holy glue. Our tradition since for 150 years has been saying it's been the impediment to oh, connectedness with God. for sure. But we know that our movement is different in this way. Look at, how much, Hebrew, look at how much Hebrew we're using. You listen. I have been the loyal opposition to the reform movement for 30 years. And for many years, I stayed away. I stayed away. Okay? And one of the reasons I stayed away was I would go to biennials, and everything's in English, and everything's in transliteration. And I can, you know, I'm, I was a Jewish studies major at Brandeis, and then I went to rabbinical school. I can read Rashi. Okay? I don't, I don't want everything in transliteration for everybody. I want to be able to say to my congregants, it's a reach-up. Listen, Judaism is a religion of skill. Okay, I don't want the reform movement to be giving people the opportunity to be unskilled as Jews. Okay, right. you can't just walk in and make a, cl- uh, a statement of faith and be Jewish. To be Jewish is to act and to acquire skills and to, to, to and to, to know something, know something, and to engage in in ways that have some mastery. Fair enough, I get that. I um, mean, here, here, let me ask you: When someone walks into a reform synagogue and wants to convert, yeah, to reform Judaism, right. what do they need to quote unquote do? What do they need to, quote-unquote, know? They need to go through a class on introduction to Judaism. They need to have spend a requisite amount of time with a rabbi. If it's part of a marriage arrangement, then it has to be with the spouse. I mean, it's not. Oh, no, it's excuse not. me. Those are rules of the class. Okay, those are not rules of being a Jew. Those are you, no, you asked what they need to do to convert. And no, do, do, do Jewishly. What do they need to do? Do they need to change the way they eat? Well, do they need to change the way they, they act? They certainly need to confront those questions seriously. Okay. They, they, they don't get a pass like, oh, yeah, do the pulled pork. It's all great. They, they are asked to engage with those things here. So now, are they required? No more than you or I are. Right, right. So I wonder, because in 30 years in the rabbinate, I've had lots of converts ask me, okay, potential converts, what, as a Reformed Jew, do I need to do? Now that you're a Jewish adult in the Reform movement, here's what you're expected to do. You are expected to be the 10th in a minion for when I, the rabbi, pay a shiva call, okay? You are expected to fast on Yom Kippur. You are expected to... I mean, I'm using fast on Yom Kippur. I I, want to know. What are those bottom lines? I don't know if there are bottom lines movementally. I sincerely doubt there are, at least at at the degree of specificity that you've just outlined. However, my experience with shuls around the country is that that message is not unwelcome. It It is a sieve. It does... Uh, leave some people not wanting to, to mm-hmm. but it also catches a lot of people precisely where there's the greatest value, which is the demand. The demand is the right. value. Right. And I hear right. you saying that. I'm, so so I'm, tell me about your successes. Are you, when you ask your congregants to reach, do they reach or do they you do know they what? balk? And I, I may be perceived as a, you know an authoritarian kind uh, of <laughs> kind of rabbi, but our congregation is a reach-up congregation altogether. It's not just me. It's the expectations of our leadership. We are a reach-up congregation. First of all, we do most of the service in Hebrew. Most of it. If not, I would say 90% is in Hebrew. Oh, you're Canadian, right? Yeah, yeah so that explains everything. No, no, we're a reach-up congregation. We do a lot in Hebrew. 
we um, the the kind of food that we serve now. But you know, we're also hippy dippy. We have a vegetarian kitchen that's local and organic. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really reach out. But if we were to have meat, it would have to be kosher meat. Okay. So you know, here's an example. I take we're here at the biennial. I'm taking my nifty delegation. I've got six kids for a nifty delegation. I'm taking them out for dinner, and I say to them, "Of course, you're with the shul, so you know, no pork, no shellfish, no milk with meat." And we're going to a steakhouse. Deal with it. And there's not, like, nobody looks at me and goes, oh, but, you know, we eat bacon at home. I know you eat bacon at home. But right now you're representing our shul in a Jewish event, in a Jewish context. And in our shul, we don't have pork, shellfish, or milk with meat at any of This is a shul event. So stuff like that. We are a high bar. Now, does that make people feel excluded? No, I think we're very audaciously hospitable at the same time, right? And that's... To me, that is such a balancing act. In the Again, movement. you're Canadian. It doesn't count. Canadians are famously hospitable. <laughs> well, yeah, we just we, people often we apologize. This is a national problem. You know, we're, That's right. we're Canadian. Oh, we're so we're, we're sorry you came today. You know, <laughs> but right. but as long as you're here, we'll it make you feel right, welcome. Right. <laughs> I'm very proud of our Reach Up congregation, and I'm very proud of our leadership team for having this very. They have a very clear vision that to be a spiritual place, which is what I think people really are after in the long run: spirituality and community that we have to create a knowledgeable and observant congregation. All right, so you have pushed authenticity, but from the point of view of intellectual honesty, that strikes me as quicksand for any reformed Jew to start pushing, because all you have to do is look around you in the Jewish world, and we are the poster children for inauthenticity, mm-hmm. even if you're keeping kosher, even mm-hmm. if you're, you're Shomer Shabbos, what mm-hmm. have you. So, so how, Why do you think we're the poster children for inauthenticity? From other people's perspective, just as you yeah. are looking around you and saying, yeah. reach up. Yeah. What do you think the conservatives in the Orthodox oh, sure. does? Reach up. And, sure. and, and they're throwing authenticity in our face to do it. Okay, but I always, when people ask me, and Reformed Jews always ask this question, what do they, in quotation marks, think of us? Right? What are they thinking about you? What do they think of a woman rabbi? I always say, you, the only person you have to look in the mirror in the morning is you. Like, I, I'm not seeing the Hasidic rabbi behind me in the mirror in the morning well, saying, are you authentic? Well, I'm asking not. that to myself. I yourself and your congregants. Okay, and my congregants, as, and as a Jew, and as a Reformed Jew, I ask myself every morning, are you authentic? Are you in authentic relationship? And some of that might be struggle, but authentic relationship with Jewish text, with God, with Torah, with Israel, right? And I want every Reformed Jew to be expected. I mean, that's a very loaded word, and I and I understand that, respect that. I think we should be expected to engage in that very authentic way. Now, I reject totally the idea that anyone else will define authenticity for us. I'm just, I want us to, I want us to really clearly define what being an authentic Reformed Jew is. Beside for tikkun olam. You're saying, let's set our own standards and then live up to them. Yeah. But you're feeling that we haven't set our standards yet. I feel like our standard begins, ends, and is in the middle with tikkun olam. Okay? Which is uh, undifferentiated ethics that aren't, A, uniquely Jewish, B, don't require certain expertise in a cultural literacy, and you could go to the local Presbyterian church and do it. Correct. Okay? And they're not grounded in Jewish texts. They're not prophetic. Now, well, the Reform- they are, but that will please. But no, I mean, we don't that's know. That. Our we source, don't know. So that's had- our source. When I I was growing up in the Reform movement as a kid, you know, from the pulpit, it was like you know the great preachers right, of that right. were were this is prophetic and these are the words of our prophets. But today, it's all let's go to the soup kitchen because that's a Jewish thing to do. I want I want my congregants and especially my teenagers, I want them to know why it's a Jewish thing to do. Where does that come from? You know, we throw around this phrase, tikkun olam, tikkun olam, and it's, do we even know it's a Kabbalistic phrase? I'm, I'm glad Rick Jacobs talked about that. 
What does it mean to repair the world? It actually is a spiritual and theological idea. That is, that the world is broken because God's-ness, God's essence, right, has been removed from it, from the breaking of the vessels, the Kabbalistic notion. Somehow these vessels that contain godliness got broken, and there's a sort of a darkness, there's a dark hole in the spiritual universe where God isn't. And tikkun olam is filling that space with God again. That's exactly what tikkun olam means from a theological point of view. It's not just going to the soup kitchen. It's going to the soup kitchen because that fills the dark hole of the universe but with Judaism godliness. doesn't Judaism also te- teach us, if we're going to throw around uh, easy phrases, mm-hmm. that uh, Judaism is a, a religion of deed, not creed? Totally. And you know what? You go fulfill the mitzvah. You feed the poor. And, and who cares your motivation? And if, if you're not particularly looking for a motivation, many of us aren't, we just want to do the right thing. We don't really need to ponder uh, filling uh, divine vacuums. Right. Uh, well, What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with it, and the more the merrier. The more soup kitchens we're populating as Jews, the more Christmas Eve, right, you know, right, volunteering right, right. we're doing with the big Jewish stars on our right, chest, right. the better, right? I just want everything to be grounded in a dailiness, in a dailiness of being Jewish. Okay, I don't want it to be I'm Jewish on Christmas Eve because I'm doing my tikkun olam thing, right, and that makes right, me a good Reformed Jew. Okay, what'd you do on Shabbos? What do you do on Sukkot? What do you do on Simchat Torah? The dailiness of being Jewish, the way we live, the way we eat, the way we think, the way we talk. The vocabulary of Judaism, which so few Reformed Jews know. It's getting better all the time. I have to say that. But but we're we're at a disadvantage because we have embraced modernity in the world, and and it has captured our attention and taken some of our attention away from the things that you're calling authentic. And we've tried to strike a balance. But in the spectrum of Jewish civilization, we have chosen to err on the side of modernity and sometimes over Judaism. And that's but you know and that and that's good. I'm a woman. I've benefited from that. Right. Let's let's be honest. I could not be a rabbi right. had we not erred on the side of modernity. And for every gay and lesbian and transgender person, we should keep erring on the side of modernity. Right. Okay? I mean, look at the, the just, what was it, last week or two weeks ago that the Rabbinical Council of America came out with this anti-female Orthodox rabbi statement. Right. It's like, guys, you can try all you want to hold back the dam, right, right, but the right. dam yeah, is yeah, broken. It's, over, it's yeah. already broken, and you're going to drown, okay, if they you don't get in the boat. Drown. They will not drown, but you're right that the dam is broken. So they, for, they, haven't been, they haven't been drowned out by cell phones and modernity either. No, they no, but, okay, so is our, it's the question for the reform movement is, when what's our dam? Okay. Yeah, what's our dam? What's our dam, and when it breaks, what's our boat? And I just, I want us to have a lifeboat. I want us to be as inclusionary as possible, don't get me wrong. But I also know that the, the, the um, dam of modernity is very strong. The, the current is very the strong. Over and dam, we have yeah. got to have a lifeboat. And to me, that lifeboat has to be knowledge of Jewish texts, knowledge of Hebrew, some sense of observance so that when I walk out of the world, when I walk out of Biennial, into the, the world of Florida, somebody knows I'm Jewish somehow, okay? We pass, and that's great. That is the beauty of modernity. We pass, We okay? pass, we pass. We pass, but at what cost to the next generations of kids who um, are yeah, lacking that? Uh, assimilate into not passing, but actually assimilate into else Assimilate into nothingness. Assimilate into nowhere. So give me, give me an example of a, light boat, a lifeboat. Give me an example of a lifeboat. What, what has been an example that has encouraged you in this reach-up uh, this reach up project of yours? That's a fantastic question. Well, first of all, I'm telling you, I came back to Reform Judaism 
from uh, what? From Nowheresville. Like, I, was, uh, I wasn't serving a reform congregation. I was doing adult education for 20 years. And I felt like there was no home for me as someone who really takes text very seriously, takes Jewish observance seriously, takes Kashrut and Shabbat seriously. You know, and then I came to Biennial. This might sound like, this is going to sound like a great plug, but it is. Okay, I came to Biennial um, two Biennials ago and was floored. I was floored because all of a sudden the person leading services said, if it's your tradition to stand for Shema, please do so. And if it's your tradition to sit, please do so. I had never been allowed to sit for the Shema, which in my mind was the more traditionally authentic way to say Shema, based on texts, okay? I had never been allowed to sit for Shema in all of my nifty days, in all of my university days, never, okay? Then all of a sudden we're doing a silent Amida. You know how much I missed a silent Amida from when I had been more traditional? And I, I'm being honest with you, I've lived in the more traditional world. Okay, I'm a Baal, I'm a Baal Shela. Uh, <laughs> I'm a Baal Shela, I'm a master of this question, after having lived in the Orthodox world for a couple of years, you know, because I couldn't find what I wanted in the reform world. It was actually, by the way, feminism, of course, that brought me back to reform yeah, Judaism. Right. It will do that. <laughs> um, but, but you know, I wa- so for me, the lifeboat uh, came back, and I saw we can do a silent demeanor. We're sitting for Shema. I know that sounds petty when I say it felt so authentic to me all of a sudden, but it wasn't petty to me. It was it's an symbolic. image. It was symbolic that we are embracing the spectrum of observance levels, but we also are saying to the to the whole biennial, five thousand Reformed Jews, there are people who sit for Shema, and that's authentic. So go ahead, do it. You know, we're not looking over our shoulders anymore and saying, "Oh, that's so conservative, it's so orthodox." Yeah. But, uh, but 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 I hear the implication that if you stand, it's inauthentic. No, not at all. I loved the opportunity to sit among my classical reform Jews wow, who stood. And you know what? At no point did I was I did I feel like I was looking down my nose at them. And for the first time I remember like glowing almost like saying, Whoa, it's so symbolic to me, but it was permission to be as observant and as knowledgeable as a reformed Jew as we always said we wanted, but we never really well, manifested. Certainly, certainly in the last 30 years we've been saying that we wanted it. And prior to that, I'm not sure we were saying that even, right. but, but times right. have changed. Right, right. Well, wow. uh, that was great. Thank you very much for your uh, committed opinions. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you for letting me it was a pleasure fully to have pulpit. You. It was yeah, great yeah. fun. <laughs> a lot of fun to hear what you say. And uh, as a uh, dean who brings up rabbis, um, we also have to strive and reach uh, to make sure our rabbis, our educators, our Jewish communal professors um, are at that top to help everyone else reach up. So thank you for what you you. stand for. Thank you for what you're doing. Take care. Okay. That was great. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to the College Commons Bully Pulpit Podcast, produced by the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion. We hope you enjoyed this podcast, and please join us again at collegecommons.huc.edu.